Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to episode 48. This marks our four-year anniversary with 48 monthly episodes now under our belt. And we have two exciting guests joining us today. Daryl Seaton is the president at Sowell Management, headquartered in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, Daryl reached out to me almost three years ago when he had recently joined the firm as COO. Uh, he had come across our podcast and he and I have stayed in contact over the years and shared best practices back and forth with, with one another. And I know our listeners are going to learn a lot from you today, Daryl. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. And I'm glad, glad to be here. Great. Well, and joining Daryl is Barrett Carvis, Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer at Edge Capital Group in Atlanta, Georgia. I only recently met Barrett, but we've known Edge for some time. PFI did a we did a joint white paper with Pershing. It was an M&A white paper a few years ago, and we interviewed Harry Jones for the profile that we did on Edge Capital Group. So we've known the firm for a while. Uh, welcome to the COO Roundtable, Barrett. Yes, glad to be here. I appreciate the, the invite and looking forward to the conversation. Great. Well, Daryl, I'm going to let you start things off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Sowell Management? Wonderful. Thank you uh, again very much, Matt. Uh, it's good to, good to be here today. A uh, little bit about Sowell Management. That's um, that's Powell with an S. Mm -hmm. uh, as Matt said, we're uh, headquartered here in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, of all places. But um, uh, our, our firm, our, our CEO and founder, Bill Sowell, is still very much involved in the firm. But in 1995, he converted his broker-dealer practice to fee-based. And I love to point that out because um, I consider him to be a real pioneer in the space. If you think about that, um, it's in vogue now to do that, but it wasn't in 1995. And so um, Sal started as a TAMP because a lot of Bill Sal's friends at the time who were advisors um, liked what he was doing and said, hey, can you manage my client accounts uh, uh, for me? And um, that's how Sal got its roots as a TAMP, got started really in, in 2001. So um, we celebrated last year our 20th anniversary as a, as a, as a firm, as a company. And um, we have 29 employees today. Um, I, I would say our ideal client, we really think about that in terms of advisors and really their, their advisors over 40 years old. Um, typically between the $50 million and $150 million range. Um, we do uh, serve IARs, which uh, we have 108 of them. And then uh, we do serve RAAs in various capacities. So there's 21 RA firms that we serve. And then we also have solicitors of various capacities as well. So um, it's, a, it's a number of different um, kinds and structures and entities that we serve. But that's that's really been our model um, really since 2016. And, um, you know, we like to say this, we we really meet advisors at the intersection of freedom, growth, partnership. That's kind of our our sweet spot for us, if you will. 
And then we really just take them where they want to go. And so we have a really built out platform. I'm sure we'll touch on here at some point, but um, our, our growth historically, I'll kind of go back to 2016 In 2016, we were about 500 million in assets. And of course, today we're sitting over 4 billion um, in assets. Uh, let's call that AUA um, since we have RAs uh, that we service. But so we've had really explosive growth um, since 2016. And we're just really excited to continue that trend moving forward. And um, we've got some big goals in front of us. So anyway, that's a little bit about uh, our firm. Hopefully that that touches the high points and um, I'm sure we'll get into some more detail later. Yeah, thank you for the uh, for the rundown and the, and the different kind of variations. 1995 was was definitely early in the uh, fee based uh, uh, model for sure. I love it. <clears throat> well, Barrett, give us the rundown on Edge Capital. I thought we were uh, complex, but after hearing uh, Daryl's situation, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that was that was you guys great stuff. You got a lot of, a lot of things going on there. Uh, we were founded in 2007, and really uh, stemmed from six of our co-founders from some of the the, the wire big wirehouses and and broker dealers uh, back in the day that really wanted to move to the fiduciary model um, again in 2007, and and be able to have a more open architecture for for their clients and relationships. Um, fast forward to today, uh, I'll use our AUM at the end of 2021. Given the market environment this year, we were we were close to surpassing the five billion mark in AUM. Uh, we're probably you know in the in the low four billions uh, given the market, and we surpassed 300 relationships this year. Uh, so average of roughly 16 million investable assets for our clients with, uh, you know, right around 37 employees. And, you know, our ideal client is really the ultra high net worth individual or family that that has complexity. Um, it's it's odd to say that we uh, we look for that complexity and that's our niche and the talent that we have at the firm really uh thrives in that environment and our, our services, you know, combines investment management, advanced financial planning, family office services, and, and advisor coordination. Um, we really want to be that quarterback of the relationship in all aspects to uh, increase the probability of, of clients accomplishing their financial goals. Our relationships, financial future is, is our mission. And, and we really believe that. And we want to align their financial picture to their mission for their wealth. Historically, we've grown majority organically, uh, which is kind of hard to believe based on the AUM that we have. But more re recently, our vision has definitely shifted to concentrating on some inorganic growth as well. And we did our first um, uh, lift out this year. So we're excited about that and looking forward to the future. Great. Well, Daryl, I mentioned you've been at, at Sowell for about three years. Walk us through your career path to where you are today. <laughs> well, th th this should be fascinating, I hope. Um, in 1999, I was actually a pastor on staff at a church, believe it or not. And um, I I got recruited to, uh, of all things, New York Life. And so I spent the first three and a half years, um, uh, you know, cold calling, <laughs> making clients, uh, building my book, and then ended up going the management path at New York Life, which you don't have clients at that point. So 
um, that partner role is really a recruiter role. And um, I ended up, uh, my tenure at, at New York Life ended up being 13 years, but I ended my uh, tenure there as the senior partner uh, responsible for their operations in Northern California, which is uh, one of their top 10 and flagship offices. And um, so, you know, my boys at the time were four, four years old and two years old. And uh, I, I, I didn't grow up with a, with a dad. So um, my, I said to my wife, I'm not, I'm not going to miss one baseball practice or, or one game or one anything. And I, I can't do that if I'm on a plane flying to, to New York uh, to, to be at 51 Madison Avenue or uh, any of the number of places that they were wanting me to be at, uh, at that role. And so um, we, we really uh, bit the bullet and um, I, we had 150 agents, reps, whatever you want to call them at the time. And and um, a unique office at New York Life because of our sales process. We actually managed a billion dollars in assets through that that office as well as all the life insurance sales. But um, my wife and I decided very, very uh, uh, boldly, I would say that um, we love I love being an advisor. And so I we stepped back out with no clients, no nothing, <laughs> zero revenue. And I built a book of business um, in 20, starting at the very end of 2012. And um, at that time, um, I actually, through the, the uh, IBD that I was affiliated with, met uh, some folks at Sal Management. Now, at the time, they were very small. I would say like 300 million. And I remember all my friends from New York Life and other parts of the industry, they're like, you're, you're partnering with who from where? <laughs> Arkansas, what? And so it was. Um, it was really kind of uh, of humorous. But um, I've always said, you know, if you find good people that are that you trust, have high character, and and can help you get where you want to go, I mean, those are the kind of people you surround yourself with. So that's how I built my practice on a quick run to starting my own RA in 2016, which Sal helped me do. So I've been an advisor user of Sal's platform before I came in um, in 2020 as the COO. And um, so I had a very, let's say, unique perspective on Sal, its growth, um, um, kind of like Barrett said about his firm. You know, Sal has grown up to this point all organically. And so um, I was a part of that story. And without Sal, I would not have been able to grow my RA very rapidly to 100 million. And uh, and then when I came in in 2020, I, I sold that book of business to Sal. So, um, um, you know, our platform is built by advisors for advisors. Bill Sal, you know, is still an advisor. And he and I both still serve clients on the platform, uh, retail clients besides, um, you know, our, our advisor clients. So, Anyway, that that's kind of how I came in. I, I I spent that first year as the COO, and then um, and then in January of 2021 was promoted to president of the company. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to a a very long tenure here at at Sal. That's fascinating. I didn't know the the backstory there. Really cool. Yeah, and and Matt, that's if you recall, um, I think it was August or so of 2019. That's when I reached out to you and said. I'm going to become COO of a $3 billion firm. Yes. Help. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. 
So. Well, Barrett, I was LinkedIn stalking you uh, <laughs> as I as I tend to do. I know you've been at Edge for about seven and a half years, and you recently added CCO duties to your list of responsibilities at the firm. But but tell us about your background. Yeah, uh, I was hoping you're going to leave the CCO part out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Daryl, that's a again. Uh, as I said, I thought we were comp complex, and then you described your firm, and then. I, I uh, was going to describe my career path as unique, but uh, I think you, I think you got me on that one as well. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't, I say unique because I didn't, I didn't start in this industry at all. I'm Florida native and I decided to continue to pursue playing basketball, which I love. And, and so I came up to Atlanta, Georgia at Oglethorpe university to play basketball, not really knowing what I wanted to do in life. Most people don't, I guess, at the age of 17, 18. I actually never – I didn't even see the campus uh, until the first day of school. So it was a pretty uh, big leap for me. <clears throat> and growing up in a, in a small town, 2020 hindsight, I think it worked out pretty well. Uh, I met my wife, Heather, there, who also played basketball. Uh, she was she was a, a rock star. She was a standout basketball player in the Hall of Fame there. Wow. And after graduating – we got married right out of school and I bounced around just coaching uh, <clears throat> at the college level at Oglethorpe and then at a high school, actually where my wife went to high school before I landed at courtroom connect, which I held various leadership positions. Um, it's a professional services company that invests in technology solutions and platforms, which kind of transform the way attorneys prepare for participate in and learn from litigation. Um, you know, it was a small firm and I worked in pretty much every department from from the ground up. And in 2015, I joined Edge. And how that came about is my wife was the uh, varsity women's basketball coach at a, a local school here. And one of the first uh, groups of um, students she taught and coached happened to be uh, a daughter of one of the co-founders at Edge Capital. And we formed a personal relationship. Uh, funny, because he saw, met me at a game, uh, saw me and was like, I, I need to meet that guy because I don't ever see anybody with, there's 10 people in the crowd that are, are giving the refs a hard time at a high school girls basketball game. So I got to meet that guy. And we started playing golf and formed a personal relationship. And, and in 15, I actually sat down with them to talk to him about maybe investing in the company courtroom connected. I used to work for, and he just said, Hey, what do you, what do you do? And I tried to explain to him basically a Jack of all trades. And he just looked at me. He's like, this is exactly what we're looking for. And I was caught off guard three weeks later. I met about 10 or 12 folks at, uh, at edge and that whole process didn't feel like an interview process at all. It felt like I'd, I've known these people forever. And I knew it was going to be a big challenge jumping into a new industry. But the people that I met and the people today is still the reason I, I get up in the morning and, and love Edge. Here I am seven and a half years later, COO and, and CCO and um, loving every minute of it. I'm asked the question a lot. How do I know if I'm talking to a, a good 
COO candidate? How, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to hire the first COO of our RIA. How do I know if the person I'm talking to, and I love the the jack of all trades is probably one of the things that that you should be looking for. If someone's, whether they're, they're doing the exact job or not, if they're, whether they're in the RIA industry or not, but if they're a jack of all trades, (laughs) uh, that that's a good sign that they're going to be able to handle the COO uh, job responsibilities. I love it. So we mentioned that both your firms are are heavily engaged in in inorganic growth. Um, Barrett, I'm a, I'm going to go to you first. Tell us your role as COO. How are you involved in the M and A process as you're looking to attract advisors? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so I'm I'm one of the team members on our M and A team. We kind of have the southeast and southwest covered from the team member makeup. We have monthly uh, pipeline calls and our advisors have a pretty broad network. So we get together talk about those. And once prospects are starting to move through, I'll just term it the sales, the M&A cycle, sales cycle, the more and more that I'm brought in to meet those uh, potential team members, basically helping to present our vision, our roadmap, our team, introducing uh, or adding to the value that we can provide them with our platform, and what we do from a philosophical strategic standpoint, and then provide that proactive communication to, to our other team leaders. One in particular being our director of operations, who is fantastic. And I think we're probably luck, um, uh, one of the few firms that is lucky to have a COO and a, D, a, a DO, a director of operations, to jump into the weeds. So she can then communicate plan for the onboarding, the transitioning, the integration planning with our custodians and with our technology and with what the the potential advisor or, you know, we're looking for mergers and acquisitions. So a potential RAA may have uh, from a tech stack and just getting that communication out, preparing the team members in the right way that we're, we have a plan. We're going to take this on. Here's how you are impacted within that plan if you are or are not, and then really uh, communicating that value add to the advisor. In this case, we did one in August, a lift out, what uh, he is going to be getting from us and how we can support him in the transition and building that confidence. So that's kind of where I, where my role comes into play. And as we do more of these, I, I feel sure that I'll probably be even more in the front running of the sales cycle and, and getting in, the weeds on the financial part of it and and so forth. Yep. I think that's exactly right. So Daryl, obviously a big part of your role is attracting advisors. So how do you do that with, with your position within the firm? Well, I, I've been described as the glue. So uh, um, I I think, I think it's a a good uh, descriptor because really for me, it's just making sure that the processes that we have set out, um, for every facet, whether it be for our biz dev team, our chief revenue officer that we hired in August um, and, and their crew, or whether it be um, our, advi- our boot camps that we put on for advisors that basically, you know, tell them who we are, what we do, how we do it, um, that all those pertinent conversations are happening. And in my case, uh, making sure that our founder and, and CEO um, if you will, in the number one spot, right, is having the appropriate conversations with that number one um, at the firm that or, or you know, that we're trying to acquire. Um, 
and just making sure that they have everything we need. So we found I found through the due diligence process on on these deals that um, you know there's a lot of data, um, including sharing back what we need to from our side. So just making and and just making sure that we have all of those pieces put together, the processes are being followed, and that the communication is absolutely clear right to everybody who's involved and and they're apprised at the appropriate times in that step. So, you know, those are uh, I've found to be the the kind of the key, you know, the key the key parts of what I do. Great. Well, both of your firms are larger than the average RIA. It 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 truly takes a village to run and operate a 4 or a 5 billion dollar RIA. Um Barrett, who is supporting you in your endeavor to run the firm? Yeah, uh, a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it takes definitely takes a lot of people. And I and Daryl, you know, I, I had a long winded way of describing how I'm integrated into the MA process, but I think the word that you use summed it up really well as is being the glue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that description. What we've tried to do is structure the firm into into departments, even though we're a small firm. I definitely, you know, I don't like using the word corporate. It has some negative tones, but in introducing some of those, some of that organizational structure is important. And so we have our, our team lead for strategy, our team lead for portfolio management, our team lead for our client service and operations, our team lead for business development. I love that chief revenue officer that you guys hired, Daryl, and, and our team lead for financial planning. These are all managing directors and or partners at the firm. So we, we have that backup and support for people that have been here 10 to 15 years, um, not only at Edge, but then they've been working 10 to 15 years prior to that in wirehouses, broker dealers, and just have a vast array of knowledge for the industry. Mm-hmm. And so we all just partner together and collaborate, and it's a real team effort. In 2020, we hired, I mentioned the director of operations. She helped build another RAA here in Atlanta from the ground up uh, and and. I mean, just we were extremely lucky to be the timing of looking for a director of operations and her being available. Um, just serendipity. It worked out really well. And she is so phenomenal in all aspects of, of all these departments and touches all of them and helps us with our processes, policies, procedures, integrating our tech stack. So while we have the leadership departments and a lot of knowledge and experience that can can help operate the business and especially be a succession plan. The director of operations is for me is a direct succession plan. Yeah. Well, Daryl, who at the firm can you lean on to that, that you look to for support as you're looking to support the advisors of the firm? Yeah. Uh, great question. And, and I echo what Barrett says. It, uh, it, 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 it takes a lot of people, right. To, <laughs> to help support uh, what we do and, and uh, and I'll I'll tell you just um, outside the firm. I'll, let me start there first. I know you you said inside the firm, but um, just like even even being on on you know on this podcast here and listening to Barrett, I'm like I'm I'm looking him up on LinkedIn already, right? Wanting to connect <laughs> because you know I, I mean to to talk to a firm that's of similar size, right? And 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 sounds like they have complexity like we do. I mean that that's just invaluable. But I also mentioned that Matt because I don't know you. I'm sure you remember uh, the podcast you did in April of 2019. But you had Stacy McKinnon on there, and you've had her uh, recently on on this podcast. And yeah. and um, 
through your podcast, I've been able to connect with a number of, of people that I've reached out to on LinkedIn. But but using Stacy as an example, um, last this last year we were we were having an issue, we were vetting something. I had been at the Schwab Executive Leadership Program. One of her team members was there. And I just said, hey, what do you what do you what do you guys know about this? And she and he said, you should talk to Stacy. And I'm like, yes, I should. She's amazing. And so we we called and and we had this amazing conversation that I don't think I would have had had I not, you know, been connected to her through your podcast. So, you know, that's one of the things I love about this industry, right, is the willingness to share and help. And um, I, I think a lot of that stems from that fiduciary capacity that we all carry. But that's sort of outside. Um, the one other resource I would point, point to outside, and this really just comes from our kind of our heart, if you will, um, about taking partnerships to the next level. But we have a strategic partner called GeoWealth out of Chicago. And um, I'll tell you what's great, not just about their technology, but Colin Falls, and, and uh, who's the president, Jack Hanna is the COO, and Jenna Peterson, I can call them almost any time and they're willing to brainstorm and really work through a problem, whether it's related to what they help us provide or not. And um, it's resources like that that are amazing. So anyway, I just wanted to mention those outside resources that um, in our big yet small industry, you know, being being connected, um, uh, it, it it really does take a village. But internally, I I have to say there's two things. One, um, our leadership team here is, uh, and, and yes, I'm biased, but they're absolutely exceptional, and um, we've been very intentional about recruiting top talent there, and and just making sure that they're resourced. Um, that we're developing them personally and professionally and providing those opportunities they want. Um, and, and, and I can't say enough about them and what they do day in and day out to honestly, to make me look good and the firm look good. Um, but, but to really serve our advisors at the, at the, at the level that they do and their teams do is, is truly amazing. So I could not do that without them. The, the second thing I would men mention is that we're an EOS firm, and um, I think Sal was on maybe EOS 3.0 when I got here, and, and the founder and CEO, Bill Sal, said, help, <laughs> could you please get this on track? And, and I said, I don't know it, um, never used it before, but I'd, I'd love to, and I, I dove, you know, just right into it, and um, I, I had a friend of mine that was a business coach, and um, was involved is starting to get involved in EOS and he's come in as our implementer and his name is Rick Vandermeiden and he is uh, I mean the two of us working that process and incorporating it into the firm and every facet and nuancing all the pieces of it has made an absolute difference right to supporting um, you know what I do in my role uh, here at the firm as well so anyway you know it's kind of a long-winded answer but um, there's a number of things there that I'm I'm incredibly grateful for every day, and those are those are the ones that are top of mind. No, that's it's a great list. I appreciate you going going through all of that, and I, I will agree that that the operations community within the RA space is it is a it is a great community, and everyone's always willing to to share ideas, and and uh, it, it's one of the reasons why this this podcast is successful because everyone's so willing to to share their ideas. So I really appreciate you going through all those uh, those uh, resources that you have. 
So talent acquisition and talent management, that's been a big uh, topic this year, or the last couple of years. It's, it's become such a big part of the COO's job. How My question for you is, how do you affect the culture at your firm? And, and Daryl, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, this topic is uh, certainly near and dear to my heart, so I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief for sure. Um, but, you know, we all know how important culture is to, to driving um, just really everything that we do. And I, I would say we have a very unique culture, certainly driven originally by, um, by our founder and, and CEO, um, set really the foundation for it. We have five core values that we point to all the time. And we have um, a high fiver team that is made up of different uh, different team members that are here, uh, different different roles they have in the firm, and they really drive a lot of the activities. If you look at our social media, you'll notice there is a lot of posts with food. <laughs> and, um, yeah. yeah, we do like to eat, and um, and we do love our margarita Fridays, Mondays, Wednesdays, whatever whatever day we have margaritas. Um, we, we enjoy uh, a lot of that, those things together, but, you know, it, it isn't, it, it's very intentional that we spend time together as a team, not just focused on the, the goals that drive the business, but on, on knowing who each other is and, and who they are as individuals. And, and so we spent a lot of time, we'll even close the, we did this last year, two separate days, we closed the office um, for a full day. And, and one of those days we did a ropes course. I mean, I had my team, you know, 40 feet off the ground and, um, working together on things. We did, um, conversational capacity. We had a speaker come in and just teach us on that. We have a member of our team that uh, we got discertified and then, uh, we use Colby as well. So we, we spend training time to, to really incorporate the culture for people to get to know each other. And then um, this year, we really felt like with bringing on all of the merger and acquisition side, we needed to kind of add to our core values. And so um, I was really tasked with um, not necessarily changing the core values, but bringing in, I would call it the great worst, greatness framework. So taking Dr. David Cook's book uh, called Greatness and, and really uh, teaching on and, and incorporating the four pillars of greatness, which are focus and passion, uh, mental toughness and noble heart. So, you know, there's a lot of time and attention spent um, really thinking about how, how, how we would continue to deepen these various components into our culture. And then having EOS there to make sure that the structure's there, that we have these formal check-ins, like like on a quarterly conversation that each one of our managers has with a team member or um, or, or recognizing right person, right seat. So we absolutely hire by and, and measure and, and, and in some cases when we have to fire by our core values. And that really sends a message to everybody in the organization that they aren't just pretty sounding phrases that we put on the wall and ignore and no one lives them out. They are authentic, they're real, they uh, we, we try to drive them at the heart level and um, those are just some of the things that we do. Um, but, you know, my my role in that is 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 key and central. And um, it, it goes directly to talent acquisition. If you have the right culture, you know, folks that you're that you're interviewing, 
and are attracted to your firm, they sense it minute one and they ask you questions around it. And um, I think that's critical or we would not have attracted the top talent that we really have and especially the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it is critical to that selection process of, of people that we're looking for to help us scale our growth right into the into the future, which we, we have large targets uh, for. And so we, we need that caliber person where maybe we didn't necessarily need that five years ago, but we certainly do today. Yep. Well, Barrett, I always say that at most RIAs, the advisors are out of the office most of the time. So the employees really turn to the COO for guidance. Um, what impact do you have on Edge's culture as the COO? Yeah, no, another uh, great question. And I think you're right. And we want advisors on the road and out there building relationships yep. and doing what they have a passion for. And I'm going to backtrack one second. I'd be remiss. Uh, I love that Daryl uh, gave thanks to some external partners. You know, I'd be, again, remiss if I didn't mention Lisa Crawford, who, when I joined Edge, was instrumental in, in having me join some of the HIFON and Insiders forums on the operations side. And it's a great group of people. And then when we did our transaction in 2018 with Focus, I mean, we got 70 to 80 partner firms that we can uh if Focus doesn't have a best practice that they can help us with, they can connect us with a partner firm and, and that um, collaboration is is key. On the culture side, you know, as a jack of all trades, a COO, we got to adapt constantly to a fast changing corporate and external environment. So mastery of change is a must in order to help translate our strategic vision into action. And I think that for me, it's is really trying to to guide that strategic vision and making sure there's no gaps between our board, uh, our leadership team, our department uh, heads, our team members, that they understand what our vision is, because I truly believe engagement is is a symptom of of cultural condition of the organization, and you know, a personal is emotional attachment to their work can be de determined by whether or not their personal values align with the organizational values. And if they have faith and trust and understanding of the overarching direction of the firm, engagement is going to increase. Therefore, pro productivity is going to increase. Therefore, our clients are going to feel that, our retention rates, and just the momentum there is, you know, uh, a multiplier. So, for me, fill in the gap or void of our strategic vision um, outwardly to the team. And it's it's really trying to celebrate and focus on the good that we do every day uh, on our core values and creating value enhancing moments um, and empowering our people to complete their roles and responsibilities. And and really, it's it's about being a good teammate and it's about giving your best effort. Um, if you do those two things. Um, I think the rest of it takes care of itself and just continuing to reinforce team. And one of the acronyms that I'll, I'll use every once in a while is, you know, together, everybody achieves more. So T-E-A-M. And if you really uh, live by that, then we're all in this together. Um, the better I make you, the better the firm becomes, the better I become. And it, again, it's just a domino effect. And, Daryl mentioned the Colby. We started a, a Colby project back in the height of COVID, and we were on the cusp of having uh, a third party come in and 
we had the date set up and the location and everybody took their Colby test and, um, and we need to get back to that, um, over the past couple of years. But I, I think it's important because we're all unique. So the better you understand yourself to lead yourself, the better you understand somebody else to help lead them uh, and drive the potential in them for the greater good is, is extremely important. So after saying all that, it's really trying to be, uh, you know, that North star for guiding everything that we do in our culture um, and being there servant leadership for me is, is, a, is big. And, and Daryl, I mean, I, I know you'll probably pick up on that word being a, being a pastor. Um, and, and that's really where I'm serving all of our team members. They serve our clients and I serve our team members and those, those they are my clients and I want to do the best that I can for them uh, to maximize their potential and continue building a, you know, a great firm. Very well said. Yes. Well, I've got another tough question for you. So outside of talent management, I'd say another area that COOs find themselves spending a lot of time is trying to balance between the scalability of the organization. And then every advisor seems to want, <laughs> seems to want to customize the client experience as much as possible. So Barrett, I'll go to you first. How do you manage those two opposing forces of scalability and customization? Yeah. Um, manage is a strong word there. Um, I, I, you know, I think of it in terms of uh, analogy with Michael Jordan. Uh, he's to me the greatest basketball player and, and, you know, it was never manage or shut down Michael Jordan. It was always contain yeah. was the word that was used. So how do you contain the customization? Um, and, and we kind of look at it from a mass customization perspective so how can we what can we scale um we have this customized thing over here okay can it be utilized across the rest of the advisors and pms client specialists so we can create some mass customization within that that customization and then create shared services as well from a, a client service standpoint or a financial planning standpoint so what can be centralized as much as we can, if, if we can get 70 or 80% of something centralized and standardized, then, then we can create some scale. And really increasing our, our tech uh, enables standardization across you know, reporting or investment platforms, our CRM workflows for task management execution, utilizing the technology and other structures to create scale for our people and our clients, but not to take the personal touch out of the equation. We actually want to utilize it so that we can put more personal touch into our relationships, our niche market, ultra high net worth, our white glove quality service. We don't want to take that away. We want to actually enhance that value proposition. So we don't want to create scale and detract from the personal touch standpoint. So we we have to live in this kind of customization world and figure out what spots we can actually mass customize to create the scale. Um, again, creating more personal touch points with our clients, uh, leveraging tech for better connectivity, and then automating some of the manual work that creates the capacity to give more personal touch to the client. Um, but we, we, you know, I think Daryl's probably going to agree. We do the best that we can 
And because of the the clientele that we tailor to, the customization is always going to be there and it needs to be there um, because we need to make our client relationships, their mission in, in not only wealth, but life, our mission. And so we're going to have to customize and, and tailor our solutions for our clients. Yeah. So Daryl, how do you uh, contain customization? I like that, containing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a great word uh, uh, for sure, Barrett. I, uh, I love that. Um, well, I, you know, I, I think there's a couple things that, that really come to mind. Uh, it's such a great question. I mean, we have advisors in 38 states and, and clients in all 50. And, you know, as I said earlier, we we kind of we 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 find ourselves our sweet spot at that intersection of freedom, growth, and partnership. And I think something that Barrett said a minute ago is absolutely critical. If if our people aren't growing personally, it's very hard for them to grow professionally. And I know you said it slightly different than that, Barrett, but. Um, I, I think it, it, for us, it really starts there. And the reason why I mentioned that as a key to scalability is one of the things that we, we ask our people to do on a regular and consistent basis is to have clarity breaks. That's an EOS term, but to make sure that they're, if you will, and I know everybody will relate to this, but working on what they do versus in what they do. And yes, you have to give guidance, more guidance to, you know, certain team members than others, but, you know, our leaders do a great job with it. But, but to get out of the home office, we do have some remote team members as well, but to get away from all of the different components of their work. I mean, I'll, I'll go, I know this is going to sound, I'm an, I'm a Northern Californian um, now, Arkansan, but um you know, I'm a big wine fan. And so uh, I spent a lot of time in Napa Valley. I love it. It's a it's a second passion of mine. Um, but um, the reason why I mentioned that here in Arkansas, I will go up. There is a wine trail here in Arkansas, believe it or not. And um, there are wineries. I, I will go there and just get away from the office to to really work strategically on what we're doing. But ev- the, everyone is in their clarity break is is encouraged to think about how to work smarter, not harder. In other words, how can we provide scalability and and yet do it in a really smart way because we have to be efficient about it. If if we're not, then it affects our, our margins and you know all hell breaks loose or or it doesn't work for our advisors. And 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 that's really our passion is to serve advisors and and when things break, we, we take it personally, right? So, um, so I think that's the first part is is helping people grow personally, and and then um, beyond that, um, I, I would I would say it it is surrounding yourself with the right partners who also have a scalability mindset. So you know I mentioned Geo Wealth earlier, um, and uh, you know they they certainly think that way as well. And, and while everybody, if you ask them if they're thinking about how to scale their business, they'll say yes, but they haven't really set up the frameworks of thought, right, that align with, um, with that. And, uh, and I, I think that's, that's also really important. But in the infrastructure of a partner, are they, are they built that way? Like take Tiffin, um, they have clout and risk and all these different components. Well, 
I mean, it's like they've, they've built themselves to scale what they do. So maybe we started with Tiff and Clout to help our, our advisors with marketing. But um, if we want to, we can, we can assume other parts of what they do in pieces rather than having to sign a contract and pay for the whole thing at once when we don't need all those components. So that's just another way that we, we, we think about that as well in terms of what we do. Now, I, I would say um, what Barrett said as well, it's been a very difficult journey for us because we've allowed so much. Uh, when I first got here, I said the strength of Sal is that we allow advisors to run their business how they want to. And the weakness of Sal is that we allow advisors to run their business how they want to. Um, we've had to tighten that up a bit. Like when I got here, there were probably no less than 15 ways for advisors to open accounts, and and it was it was a little bit uh, manic, and and now we're moving more to one way that you open accounts at Sal, just because data your your the health hygiene of your data starts there, right, and it has to be uh, clean moving through your stack. So um, so certain things like that we've had to tighten up, and that's been a real challenge. But it it always is when you're trying to change human behavior, whether that be an advisor or someone on your team um, as well. So um, I, I like what you said earlier, Barrett, about being um, sort of that that agent of change and helping people adopt the mental toughness that's necessary to make those changes. So anyway, that that's those are those are some of the things, Matt, that I, I just think of off the top of my head as you ask that question. But it's, a, it's an excellent question. Um, we're by no means there. Um, it's something that we struggle with week week in and week out. Yeah. Well, my last question for both of you, um, it's another tough one. <laughs> what <laughs> metric, whether this is a, a numerical metric or just a qualitative indicator, what do you look to when gauging the health of your organization? And Daryl, I'll go to you first on this one. <laughs> uh, can, I, I, well, I know you said you asked for one, but um, I, I'm going to use two and, and, uh, the first one that I look at is the number of boot camps that we uh, that we hold um, in a week or a month, and um, that's on the uh, sort of the middle part of the recruiting process. But that's when an advisor gets to the point that says, "Hey, we're interested enough to know more about you." Um, you know, right here in Little Rock, we sit at the intersection of the South and the Midwest, so we're a service firm and. And yet we have that Southern hospitality. So we love for people to come to Little Rock and be eyeball to eyeball with us. Um, it was a little tough through COVID. Um, we did a lot of things virtually and adapted. But I can tell how we're doing on our growth just by the number of boot camps that we, that we hold. So I look at that. And then on the sort of the backside of that, the other key metric is our NPS score. And um, that's something that we measure every quarter. We pay attention to it. We, as we send it out, we hold our breaths and, and uh, you know, we're looking for a number above 50, which we've done a really good job with uh, for the most part. And, um, but those are the two numbers I look at, number of boot camps and our NPS score. Great. And Barrett, I'll give you the last word on this one. What do you look to when gauging whether or not the firm is tracking appropriately towards your goals? Yeah, me having the last word is might be a little scary. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, before I go into the metrics, I, I've really enjoyed uh, listening to this conversation and learning more about Daryl as we've gone through this. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of fascinating things going on with your firm and who you are personally and the things that have come out in the conversation that you believe in. And 
just, I, I, you know, I love this part of the job because you get to meet people um, like you guys and, and hopefully Daryl, you and I can connect and definitely maybe you can give me some tips on uh, my, my 20th anniversary is coming up in June and, and, you know, might need your help figuring out a, a trip to uh, wine country. <laughs> no problem there. <laughs> um, yeah, likewise, yeah, Barrett. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So for, for gauging whether or not a firm is tracking appropriately, um, you know, we're not as, as quantitative as, uh, as Daryl's firm is running the traction program. <clears throat> Love to get your thoughts on that NPS. Cause we need, it's something we've talked about, but I really look at client and team member retention. Um, and, you know, some of those things are going to be out of your control, whether a client departs for necessary reasons or team members uh, find a new avenue, or maybe you've helped that team member find a new avenue and create <clears throat> their next journey in life. But the things that are in our control from client and team member retention, as long as we we are controlling them well, and keep keeping retaining clients and retaining team members. Uh, that's very important. And then, you know, Daryl probably feels this as well as a COO. <clears throat> we get a lot of things thrown our way, and so really, I look at the number of items that are rolling through my door uh, or that we discuss at the leadership level that are either positive or negative. Um, things that we need to. And you can always find the, the silver lining or the opportunity in every challenge, but we tend to only get the things that need to improve or that are negative. Um, and I'd love to get, you know, more positive things rolling through the door, but I kind of look at that as a qualitative, yeah, hey, is there a lot of things that we need to improve on and we're ever evolving. Um, so we need to continue improving our culture, our, our processes and everything. But if there's not a whole lot of negative things coming through my door, that's kind of a good gauge for me as well. I like it. Well, guys, I want to thank you both for joining us for our initial podcast here in 2023. Um, thank you, Barrett and Daryl, both for being here and sharing your your thoughts and, and experiences with our with our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's great to meet you as well, Barrett. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. And and last word for the team since you gave me that last word was, you know, I couldn't be who I am and we couldn't be the firm that we are without the team members and leadership. So just want to thank you to all of them. For sure. Well, that is a wrap on episode 48. We will talk to everyone soon.